Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. With the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, there's been a lot of attention turned to the development, the growth of the North American electric vehicle manufacturing industry. Uh, there's already a nascent one, of course, in the U.S., uh, Tesla being the leader, but many of the other OEMs like Ford and GM are hot on Tesla's heels. Uh, the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act now is North American in scope, so we're going to see a lot of development in Canada and some in Mexico as well. So basically looking at a North American industry and the development of EV supply chains. And with the growth of EV adoption in North America, all, the question arises, how are we going to uh, generate enough electricity, clean electricity, to power those electric vehicles, and how might that affect the power grid? So I'm going to talk to Professor Kashik Rajashikara, who is a distinguished professor of engineering at the University of Houston, the recipient of the 2022 Global Energy Prize, and member of the National Academy of Engineering and National Academy of Inventors. So, Raja. Welcome to the interview. Uh, thank you very much. Um, there is a lot of work going on in the integration of various uh, renewable energy sources. For example, wind, solar, and also integration of the battery energy storage systems. So all being integrated, there is a lot of opportunity for us to generate more and more electricity. And also we are not going to put millions and millions of vehicles in one day. So they will also have evolve. By 2035, I think there are 50% of the vehicles sold will be electric. Or many uh, states have already made a rule that, or a law that, including California, that after 2035, they won't be selling any more gasoline-based vehicles. So we have time, and uh, there is a lot of work going on to manage this electricity and also to generate electricity. For example, uh, there are several ways of controlling the electricity. Also, there are smart charging. For example, you don't charge uh, when uh, there is a lot of demand. So also the system can communicate with the charger so that somebody, so many people plug in the same way, then we cannot do it. So there is a lot of work going on. Now, uh, this is a, a fascinating issue because it gets raised on social media all the time. Oh my God, oh my God, we're going to adopt all these EVs. We're going to blow up the, the electricity system. Now I've interviewed experts about electricity utilities and I've interviewed the utilities themselves and everyone, it's not like this came out of left field and surprised anybody, right? The utilities have been anticipating. They've known yes. this was coming. Many of them are, uh, you know, they're all planning to various degrees on how to upgrade their infrastructure, how to upgrade their distribution uh, uh, systems down and even at the neighborhood level. Uh, you know, they, they have capital plans in place. And 
something which is different in the U.S. than in Canada. So in Canada, we have 10 provinces and all of them have their own electricity systems. That's regulated mm -hmm. at the provincial level. There is no federal regulator. It's very different in the U.S. And in fact, you have regional planning organizations, yeah. right? What, what, what kind of planning for the integration of EVs into the grid and upgrading the grid to handle that is being done at the national level and at the, the regional level, Raja? Right now, on the national level, only Department of Energy is taking a lot of initiative to promote this. They are funding a lot of uh, uh, millions of dollars they are spending to establish that infrastructure, have a number of chargers installed, and also the, the grid to vehicle to grid, V to G, G to V, that has been going on very well because every auto manufacturer is working on V to G, G to V. That is vehicle to grid, that is charging. And grid to vehicle, uh, I mean, vehicle to, I'm sorry, vehicle to grid is putting the energy back into the system and grid to vehicle is charging because we are using the vehicles only 10% only of the time, maybe. So remaining the time, they are all sitting in the parking lot and thousands and thousands of vehicles are sitting. Then we can use all those battery energy storage system and feed it to the grid. So there is a lot of work going on uh, at that level. And at the local level, for example, Houston, we have a, uh, some organization, they are working on establishing the chargers and how to manage the electricity and when to charge and vehicle to grid, grid to vehicle operation. And all those items are being done. So at the local level, it is mostly the cities themselves the headed by the mayor of that city or somebody they will do it or some organizations they are working on it so i would say there is no coordinated approach okay one centralized agency in the united states take care of everything that is not happening right so it's not like FERC is spearheading this and yeah. and managing it it's very decentralized and That's which correct. makes perfect which makes perfect sense because i mean there yeah. are you know 50 states and you've got 50 different electricity systems country, so yeah, yeah, ex exactly. And and so that makes, I mean, there is a, a, quite a bit of state control, uh, of course, of electricity systems regulation and, and so on. And I didn't mean to imply that the Americans had a, a centralized system uh, for regulation and so on, just that there was more central regulation and some regional planning. Okay, enough. I flogged that, ho that horse enough. Um, so everybody seems to be working on this they're all into to again to varying degrees uh buying into the clean energy uh uh in, into renewables and why wouldn't they i mean the costs have come down so dramatically the iea is saying that you know 90 95 percent of all power generation that's added in in the next decade is going to be renewables i mean yes. everybody's all in on on this and and it and of course storage has been recognized as the uh, sort of key issue of dealing with the intermittency issue around wind wind and solar. So are we close to getting vehicle to grid integration? Yes, lot of company or almost all the automotive companies are when they are selling the electric vehicles, they are selling the chargers in such a way that onboard chargers. That can also that can be used for charging the batteries in the vehicle and also use that stored energy in the battery and feeding feeding into the grid. 
and there are several companies are all already producing that type of uh, inverters or converters inverters for this application and automotive companies are already installing them in their vehicles so i think that is going on at a very fast rate so now in another few years almost all the electric vehicles will have that feature and I was listening to a podcast um, a couple of months ago, and uh, uh, Ford CEO Jim Farley was one of the guests, and they were talking about the Ford F-150 Lightning, their Ford's electric pickup truck. And yeah. he said the number one reason why so many people are interested in that truck is because of its ability to plug into the house. You, know, you can wire it in, and uh, and and you can charge the house uh, up That's to three right. days or longer. Uh, with that. And given the well-publicized uh, grid problems in California and Texas and in other areas, you know, that's got a lot of Americans worried about the security and stability of the grid. And so they see they see this pickup truck with its big battery as part of the solution to that. And I would imagine that we'll see that from what you're, you're from your comments. It sounds like that, you know, that's going to be a big issue uh, going forward. So yeah, that should not be a major problem. For example, they take the power from the wind and solar. Now they should consider electric vehicle as another energy storage system and feeding into the grid. So right, that should be fine. Now one of the Roger, one of the things I'm really fascinated about because um, in Canada we have, um, with the exception of Alberta and to a lesser extent Ontario, the rest of the country, the electricity systems are dominated by government-owned utilities crown corporation utilities so it is very much a centralized kind of um uh, you know system where in the U u.s as i follow it i'm absolutely fascinated by the vigor of it everybody understands that the power grid is is aged is aged it's not yeah. up to the task. It needs to be re-engineered. It needs to be brought up to standards, you know, to handle all of the, you know, the, the renewal, the energy transition. It, and, and the amount of energy and capital flowing into this re-engineering is nothing short of astonishing to me. Yeah, that's correct. There are a lot of money, smart grid. That is the trend. Everybody is working on smart grid directly or indirectly. Even companies like who don't understand the Power, uh, power systems or anything, but many electronic companies, they consider themselves as smart grid companies because that is where the money is. So, but of course, it is not a lot of communications and controls and um, transmission and everything. A lot of uh, data and signal handling capability is required. That is why not only the power companies, the electronics companies like Cisco or AT&T or Many other companies are also working on this type of uh, technologies. And I want to get your take on uh, an observation of mine that this is a really dynamic time for electricity utilities and the power grid. There are so many new technologies. And I, frankly, I, I'm not an engineer and I don't understand the most of them, but I, I, I see them mentioned in, uh, you know, in places like Utility Review when they do articles on them. And it seems to me that the integrating this new technology uh, to make it more efficient, to, to, to flatten the utility business model. I mean, there's a whole lot of things going on here, but it looks to me like the, the power grid in the U.S. of 2030 will look very different than the power grid of 2020. 
Yeah, there are a lot of uh, the technology is continuously evolving. For example, resiliency is the key word. Key word. The grid has to be resilient. For example, uh, we have the hurricane uh, in Houston about uh, in 2017. So many people lost power. So how do we make sure that if there is a hurricane or a, or any other big storm, we don't lose the electric power? Even 2021, even I lost the power for three days. <laughs> That is not because of uh, the problem, it is because of the ice sitting on the wind turbines and that type of problem. So we had a problem in getting uh, uh, energy from the wind because Texas is the number Texas is number one in wind energy in the United States. So yeah, there are uh, right now, but in 2030, as you said, I agree that there are a lot of capability, grid resiliency, grid resiliency, self-healing, Self-healing means if there is a problem, it will it should be able to correct by itself. And many other technologies are being worked out and also standards are being upgraded and communications are good and also demand side management. And so that is the, the load depending on if there, which is a critical load, if there is a problem, then which needs to be turned on, which needs to be turned off. Unnecessarily power is not wasted, so it will be more efficient. So a lot of technologies are being worked out. Now, one of those technologies is microgrids. And I just, again, mentioned utility uh, uh, utility review, I guess. Uh, and I saw an article that said that microgrids were going to expand by 19 or 20% in next year in the U.S. And it seems like, you know, energy storage is critical to a microgrid. But if that's the case, and everybody, you know, the, 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 grid, the garages... Uh, from people in people's homes within that microgrid are full of EVs that are then part of the microgrid that allows a level of local control and local resilience and local stability that we could never have imagined before. And local control. I, I think that's a, that's the thing, you know, people, you know, okay, we're great. We like being part of the bigger power grid. That's all wonderful as long as it's reliable and when it never goes down. But now, hey, maybe we do want, you know, our our solar uh, rooftop solar panels and our our batteries to make sure that we get looked after locally. That's correct, because there is a lot of work going on in the microgrid and they can be islanded or connected to the grid. For example, whenever we want, we can connect it to the main grid or they can be disconnected from the main grid. So in that case, it is important to have the energy storage also because the grid is the microgrid is not stiff. So stiff means the sense when you connect loads are connected or generators are connected or renewable energy sources are connected, it should not affect so much. But if it is the main grid, the big grid, even if you connect few generators or remove generators or loads, nothing will happen. So that's why the energy storage is also very important microgrids. And we want to make it as stiff as possible if there is a sudden change in the load, the battery energy can be used instantaneously before the windmill or a solar photovoltaic or any other thing can provide the power. Yes, what there is do, a lot of going on there also. What do U.S. utilities think about microgrids? Do they see them as being a new component of the larger power grid that they can work with microgrids, work with virtual power plant, power plants, and, and that makes everything stronger? Or are the utilities 
you know, see them as encroaching on their territory and and competitors and and not really wanting to work on them. Uh, what's your take on that? I think utilities are very supportive of this microgrid. That is what my understanding is. Because when I was uh, in UT Dallas, even Arcot, Arcot is the one of the company, this one organization in uh, are mainly organization which controls our uh, electric power distribution. So they were demonstrating a microgrid and many other utilities are, are also, they encourage so that it won't be, for example, utilities, if all the power has to come from the existing utilities without adding all these microgrids or even the renewable energy sources, they have to keep building many power plants so that is a very expensive. So they can use these renewable energy sources and also uh, uh, electric vehicles for uh, that is the vehicle to grid operation and that type of technology so that they don't have to build new power plants. So that will save a lot of yeah, money for them and also the time, everything. I think they should be very open for that. That is my guess. Now, I... I... The, my understanding of the, the way the various, uh, you know, U.S. electricity systems, I'm, I'm not intimately familiar with it, but I have read that there was some criticism under the, you know, the regulated model, the old cost of service model, that utilities would very often build out big capital projects, whether they were transmission or usually it was power plants. And, and, be, and because then they could, they could spend the money and they were guaranteed a return on that capital. So the more capital you spent, the higher the return you got, you know, very clever playing the system. Right. But now in this, that model seems to have been turned on its head. They would rather have developers or yeah. communities or whoever it is spend their capital to to develop those power plants and you know solar farms wind farms geothermal yeah. whatever the heck it, it might be and the utility utilities role changes the utility now it distributes it transmit it That's maybe is is the platform for services energy as a service it, i mean it, it's a whole it, it seems like a whole different world different business model for the utilities and of course EVs would play a role in that. That's correct. Yeah, that is very true. So it is evolving anyway with uh, all these new microgrids coming, electric vehicles coming. So by 2035, it could be a different model again. <laughs> yes, I think that's the that's the mm. thing is it's if you're not in the industry, uh, you know, if you're just a kind of an observer or a journalist like me who reports on it occasionally, the the pace of change. You know, the the electricity system, the power sector has long been considered a very staid, conservative, you know, the power yeah. grid hasn't changed in a hundred years, basically, that kind of thing. And now all of a sudden, within a very short period of time, it's being disrupted in a way it's never never has been, you know, since Thomas Edison. And that was needed. <laughs> because with so much of energy we are consuming uh, nearly more than 600 quarts of energy worldwide we are consuming and the United States is about 100 quarts. So then that uh, energy consumption is going up, it is not going down. So we need to have new models and new resources, everything. So that is where a uh, lot of work is going on. Well, let's talk about transmission. Um, we talked about microgrids, which would kind of argue against 
building out of more transmission. Uh, but then on the other hand, it's a con it's like an axiom. It's a commonplace saying that the you know to build out uh, renewables, we're going to need a lot more transmission. The U.S. is going to need a lot more transmission. What's your take on that? See, the transmission, uh, the, the, we use the word transmission dist and distribution. Transmission lines are very high voltages. There are, uh, for example, high voltage DC transmission, they operate at even up to 750 kV and China has built uh, recently 1100 kV transmission, high voltage DC transmission. But, and the distribution is the local one, where, they, where the, from the transmission it comes to the substation, from substation it is distributed. But, uh, if the power plants are not built, like thermal power plant or coal power plants are not being built, it would mainly on the solar, wind, or the grid energy storage system, then we don't need that type of transmission for those. Still we need, that is for the existing or uh, legacy power plants, but uh, for the new ones, yeah, unless you get it from offshore, offshore wind, that is uh, even offshore wind, the distance is only about uh, 100 to 200 miles, maybe maximum, if we do it. So we don't need that much of high transmission, high voltage transmission for this type of applications because the distances are very small in this case. Uh, for example, Denmark has so many windmills and such a small country and they get it and they don't need such a high HVDC unless they supply it to some other country in Europe need. So that should not be a problem with the, the transmission line. Whereas the distribution side, yes, we need to properly distribute it. And so, then uh, we have the renewable, because we want to charge all our electric vehicles using the renewable energy sources, so we make sure that it is there. And where I'm going with these questions, uh, Raja, is, is that if that's the case, if, if we're going to not build out as much transmission capacity as maybe we had originally thought, if we're going to be relying more on uh, locally distributed, uh, locally sited uh, power generation in wind and solar and whatever else, if we're going to do all of that, then energy storage assumes perhaps an even bigger role in this new power grid, the smart power grid. And then of course, that leads us back to electric vehicles being being inter integrated into the grid. Yeah, that's correct. But I, I, I'm not telling that only we don't need any more very long distance transmission. It depends on where, for example, if a solar power is located in the desert, which is very far away, then at that in that case we may need, but Generally, for renewable energy sources, we may not need as much long-distance, high-voltage transmission as it is required for the conventional or hydroelectric power plants, which are located very far away from the cities or, or, uh, or the, where the utilities or the main loads are there, where we are right. consume the electricity. Yeah. Sure. Uh, let's wrap up our conversation, Raja, uh, with what would be the one or two top obstacles to adoption of EVs as storage in the grid? The, the consumers. See, you are willing, you should be willing to 
this one cell-level electricity are provide the energy that is stored in your electric vehicle battery and feed it to the grid because, oh, I need to, I normally discharge, I don't want to feed it, for example, if I cannot drive back to my home, what will happen? Or anyway, the money that I'm going to get is not that much anyway, why should I worry? So I think the consumer's acceptance is important. If they are not accepting to provide the energy from their electric vehicle batteries to the grid, then it could be a problem because you cannot force any driver to just sell the electricity. That is the main one. And then the coordination of all those. So now it's okay that we don't have so many few million vehicles, but if everybody started using the electric vehicles and started selling the electricity from their electric vehicles to the grid, then how do you coordinate? How do you manage? That could be some issue, at least in the short run. Sure. And and between now and 2030, we'll be grappling yeah. with a lot of those, a lot of those issues. That's and right. there's all sorts of technologies coming on on stream. And I guess when just to wrap up our conversation, uh the uh consumers, some of them are going to say, okay, I only have so many cycles uh yeah. in my EV battery before That's it's going correct. to be. And if I sell you a cycle. Uh, and, and which then comes out of, you know, now I'm my, the life of my battery is reduced by that cycle. Then you need to compensate me enough so that it makes it worth my while. Otherwise I'll yeah, because the battery may have to be changed faster than otherwise. Yes. Yeah, so, and I, yeah. and I guess we'll, we'll sort out all of those things as we go along. And after we get enough experience under our belt, well, Roger, thank you very much for this. Really appreciate thank it. You. So it was nice talking to you. Thank you.